One of my favorite ways to unwind is by playing a game on my phone while I relax on the couch. And June's Journey is my new favorite as it combines several of my favorite things, finding hidden items, decor and design, and solving a murder. In June's Journey, you dive into June's captivating quest to uncover a scandalous hidden family secret while discovering the truth behind the unexplained death of her sister. As you uncover clues, you also get to build your own island estate with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. You get to collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. You get to chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. So can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This episode contains adult themes and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, the world. This is They Will Kill, a true crime podcast. I am Courtney Eck. And I'm Sadie Eck. And I'm coming to you from our dear, dear friend Clint's Airstream trailer in New Orleans, Louisiana. Not me. I'm not there. Far, far away. And there's a tropical storm rolling through. So if I'm very quiet during this episode, it's because I'm muting myself so that you don't have to hear the pounding of tropical rain on the roof of this trailer. (laughs) If you get flooded, let us know and we can pause. Keep going. You, got, you guys, the show must go on. If I'm just floating <laughs> down the down into the Mississippi River, if I'm I end up in the bayou, if I'm in the bayou, <laughs> I'll just keep recording. The show must go on. That's right. So, you Lieutenant Danit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is not about that. This is about something horrible and it's Sadie's night. So what are we talking about today, Sadie Ray? We have a real doozy for y'all today. So sad. This is the tragic story of Paula Cooper and the murder of Ruth Pelkey. On the afternoon of May 14th, 1985, 15-year-old Paula Cooper and two of her friends, 16-year-old Karen Corder and 15-year-old April Beverly, left school during lunch with the plans to cut class for the rest of the day. The three 10th graders were friends who attended Lou Wallace High School in the neighborhood of Glen Park in Gary, Indiana. <gasps> my, my neck of the woods. Yeah. What year is this again? 1985. Oh, boy. With a few free hours on their hands, the girls decided to head to the Candyland Arcade not far from their school, where they played games, talked to boys, and ate candy. After getting bored of the arcade, April invited the others to her house, where she lived with her siblings. Another girl, 14-year-old Denise Thomas, joined the group as they headed off to April's house. Once there, they decided to drink some alcohol on her porch and hang out. Earlier in the week, Paula, Karen, and April had broken into a neighbor's house and stole $90. They had since spent all the money, and while they hung out on the porch, they started talking about how they could get more. April reminded her friends about one of her elderly neighbors, 78-year-old Ruth Pelkey, who lived alone in a house behind April. Where are you taking the people, Sadie? Terrible places, dude. I'm so sorry ahead of time. This case is all around 
horrific. It's yeah. so sad. Quote, remember that lady we saw standing out back? Well, we could go over to her house because she has a lot of money and jewelry and different things. April said they could knock on Ruth's door and ask her for information about the Bible study that Ruth led every week. Thinking this would be a great plan, the four teens walked the short distance to Ruth's house and knocked on her door. When Ruth answered, the girls asked for information about the Bible study, but Ruth told them that now wasn't a good time. They would have to come back another day. Ruth then closed the door, leaving the four girls on the porch. Their plan had failed. Once back at April's house, the teens were discouraged. As they stood in April's kitchen to come up with a new plan, April pulled out a large butcher knife with mm -hmm. a 12-inch blade from one of her drawers and suggested they go back to Ruth's house to scare her with the knife. No, no. Stop it. Put it away. Be a teenager. Be a kid. Yeah. Yes. Paula liked this new plan and quickly took off her white denim jacket to use to hide the knife. The four girls then walked back to Ruth's house. April hung back, not wanting Ruth to see her, and they knocked on the door again. This time their plan worked and Ruth let them inside. She agreed to write the Bible study information down for them and led them into her dining room. Once Ruth was bent over her dining room table with her pen and paper, Paula saw an opportunity and knocked Ruth to the ground. Mm. Paula then grabbed a heavy glass face on the table nearby and hit Ruth over the head with it. The girls would later say that Ruth was stunned from the blow and that her head started to bleed right away. Paula then took the knife from her jacket, sat on top of Ruth, and started slashing at her. Mm. At first, her cuts were superficial, but soon became much more serious. When all was said and done, Paula stabbed Ruth more than 30 times. Mm -mm. Paula would later say that while she was being stabbed, Ruth told Paula, quote, if you do this, you'll be sorry. Once Paula was worn out, she tried to hand the knife to Denise, the youngest member of the group and the one that none of the girls knew very well. Denise refused to take the knife and told the others that she couldn't be involved. She had just had a baby and couldn't hurt someone else. Oh, God. No. And she's well, just, a, she's the youngest in the group? 14. <gasps> she's 14. Oh, my God. Gee. Yeah. Oh, wow. You did not exaggerate when you said this is a sad one. I'm no, sad it's enough. terrible. Paula was 15, uh, April was 15, and Karen was uh, 16. Oh. Children. Oh. So Paula gave the knife to Karen instead. Karen covered Ruth's face with a towel so she wouldn't have to look at her and then sat on Ruth's legs while the other girls searched the house. Karen would later say that she got curious about the knife and decided to stab Ruth a few times as well. Mm. She ended up pushing the large knife all the way through the older woman's chest until the blade hit the ground below. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Ruth Pelkey was born on May 18th, 1906 in Peru, Indiana. She was known as a devout Christian, Baptist, who married her husband, Oscar, in 1944. She had a daughter with her first husband and happily added Oscar's two grown children to her family as well. Oscar's first wife had died a few years before Oscar married Ruth, and Oscar's children were pleased their dad found a new love. After being married for almost 40 years, Oscar passed away in 1983 
leaving Ruth to live alone in her home in Gary, Indiana. She continued to teach Bible study and did what she could to help her neighbors. Her family described her as loving and warm. She absolutely loved children and enjoyed teaching them about her faith. The family always gathered at her house for the holidays and said that she was the glue that kept them all together. At the time of her death, she was a grandmother to nine and a great-grandmother to 15. Holy shizzles. She was killed just four days before her 79th birthday. After brutally killing Ruth, Paula, Karen, April, and Denise took their time going through Ruth's house, completely ransacking it. Despite the promise of finding lots of money, jewelry, and other treasures, when all was said and done, the teens only managed to find $10 cash and the keys to Ruth's car. Oh, no. Yep. Also, this is why teens terrify me, because they can just be sitting out there with their underdeveloped brains, having a little drink on the porch, and then like, let's just go kill the neighbor brutally. Yep. Let's scare her with a knife and then just end up completely yeah. just just just, just casually brutally murdering your yeah. elderly neighbor and ruining all of your lives in the process yep. yep the day after ruth was killed her stepson bob became worried about her after she failed to return his calls he used his spare key to let himself into the house and found ruth lying on the dining room floor where the girls had left her police were called and the investigation into her murder started right away Luckily for detectives, they didn't have to look far. After killing Ruth, the four teens responsible stole her car and drove straight back to school to see if anyone wanted to join them for a joyride. <laughs> Word spread quickly that the girls stole a car matching Ruth's, and authorities were able to arrest all four teens just two days after the murder. Mm-mm. Two of them were arrested at school. The other two were arrested later that day. The girls were quick to confess to their crimes, and they were all charged with the first-degree murder of Ruth Pelkey. Ruth's grandson, Bill, would later say, quote, I had great difficulty believing that four girls so young could have gotten involved in such a terrible, heinous crime. I had children that were the same age. At first, prosecutors said they were going to go for the death penalty for all four girls. Oh, my God but ultimately decided to try for the death penalty in Paula and Karen's cases only. They're children! What they did is horrifyingly awful, but they are children. Yes, they are. They are also black. I was going to say, I'm going to take a wild guess that these are black teens. Yep. And (sighs) when I think about this happening to white teenage girls, it would not happen. God, no. Absolutely not. If you don't want to hear about me ranting and raving about all of the things that are to come as far as race and social injustice and poverty and Mm. on and on, just go ahead and move on. I am so upset by this case. I can hardly stand it on so many levels. And I will be very clear that Ruth did not deserve for a second what Mm -hmm. happened to her. And it is heinous. It's one of the reasons I included some of the details to understand that she died a terrible death. It was awful. Yep. But it does not mean that the girls who did it got what they deserved. Yep. Some capital O opinions coming out today, everybody. Yeah. There's no way around it in this case. Yep. Denise and April, April, who was pregnant at the time of her arrest, 
gave birth to her baby a few months later while awaiting her trial. Which is like all we need to know really about these children, that they're 15 and 14 years old and one is a new mother and the other one is a mother-to-be. Mm-hmm. And the 16-year-old had a three-year-old at home. Oh, my God. Yeah, dude. It's endlessly awful. It's endless. But I'm assuming that they probably just had a real normal upbringing, like oh all God, of the information right? they needed and lots of nurturing and mm-hmm. guidance yeah. to help them avoid doing something so heinously, insanely awful. Yeah. Because they're so dissociated from their bodies mm-hmm. and their emotions that it wouldn't even dawn on them to not casually kill their neighbor. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All four teens would go on to plead guilty to the charges against them. April, who wasn't in the house at the time of the murder, pleaded guilty to a lesser charge of robbery and was sentenced to 25 years in prison. Denise pleaded guilty to first-degree murder and was sentenced to 35 years. Karen pleaded guilty to first-degree murder. During her sentencing, the judge decided against the death penalty for her and instead sentenced her to 60 years in prison. The judge explained that he was not giving her the death sentence because he believed that Karen was, quote, under the influence of a dominating personality. He believed Paula Cooper was the ringleader and the reason Ruth lost her life in such a terrible way. In July of 1986, Paula's sentencing hearing was held and lasted just four hours. Despite the fact that Paula was only 15 at the time of her crimes, the death penalty was still very much on the table for her. In fact, at the time of Paula's sentencing, Indiana allowed children as young as 10 mm. years old to be executed. <laughs> it's going to make me cry. I, ugh, I tell you guys, this story just about ruined me. It's just so sad. This system is so fucked up. Mm-hmm. 10 years old. 10. But abortion <laughs> is illegal here. Right? Yeah. Before pursuing the death penalty, prosecutors met with Ruth's family to ask what justice would look like for them. The Pelkeys all agreed that Paula should die for what she did to their mother and grandmother. During the sentencing hearing, the courtroom was packed. If Paula was sentenced to death, she would be the first underage woman in United States history to receive that sentence. Prosecutors began the hearing by explaining why they believed Paula should be executed and had Ruth's son, Bob, take the stand to testify about finding his stepmom's body the day after she was killed. Bob's son, Bill, later said, quote, My father told the judge that it would be a travesty of justice if she, meaning Paula, did not get the death sentence. He pulled a paper from his pocket that listed about 25 or 30 Bible references that he said called for the death penalty. Bob finished his testimony by telling the judge, quote, do what has to be done, he said, annihilate the criminals so that decent people can enjoy the life that God has given them. Oh, my God. He added, quote, a lesser sentence for Paula would be immoral, unbiblical, unproductive, a travesty of justice and a disregard for the rights of victims. The defense did what they could for Paula and spent an hour and a half describing Paula's childhood. Paula was born August 25th, 1969 in Michigan City, Indiana. (gasps) Oh, come on. Now you're really going for the jugular. (laughs) I know. 
She had an older sister, Rhonda, and the girls were raised primarily by their mother, Gloria. Rhonda said that she and Paula had opposite personalities growing up. Rhonda was always tough with a hard edge, while Paula was more soft and gentle. Rhonda said that Paula would sometimes get in fights with other kids on the way home from their elementary school. Instead of standing up for herself and fighting like the other kids usually would, Paula would run home as fast as she could, knowing that Rhonda would be there to fight for her. (laughs) Trigger warning for child abuse and attempted suicide. The girl's mother, Gloria, worked long hours as a lab tech at a hospital, so the girls were often left to fend for themselves. Their father, Herman, would come and go as he pleased, spending weeks at a time away from his family. When he came home, he would fight with Gloria and beat them all terribly. He would make the girls take off all their clothes so they could, quote, really feel it, and then hit them with belts and electric cords. Both Herman and Gloria were bad alcoholics, and the fights seemed endless. They would often break up just to get back together again a few weeks or months later. During one of these breakups, when Paula was nine and Rhonda was 12, Rhonda said that Gloria kept her daughters up all night, spending the time telling them what she planned to do the next day. By the time the sun rose, both Rhonda and Paula were exhausted and no longer resistant to Gloria's plan. Gloria then brought her children to the garage and had them get into the back seat of the family's car. Leaving the garage door closed, she opened the car's windows and then started the engine. Uh-uh. Rhonda said she remembered the air becoming thick and then she fell asleep. The next thing she remembered was waking up in her bed with Paula sleeping next to her. When she was able to get out of bed, she found a note taped to the door from Gloria explaining that she was sorry and that she planned to finish what she'd started. (gasps) Rhonda ran to the kitchen window where she saw exhaust fumes coming from the bottom of the garage door. Uh -uh. She ran to the neighbors for help and they pulled Gloria from the car. She was not breathing and had no pulse, so they started CPR. By this time, Paula was outside too and watched as paramedics attempted to save her mother's life. Rhonda believed that this was when something snapped inside of Paula. Rhonda also remembered that none of the adults, including police or paramedics, ever stopped to check on the girls. Mm -hmm. After Gloria was rushed off to the hospital, the sisters went and stayed with their aunt. Gloria survived Mm. and decided to check herself out of the hospital against medical advice. The doctors didn't try to stop her. And when she went to pick up her children on the way home, no one intervened then either. Oh, my God. Rhonda later said, quote, you have to understand, we were all supposed to have been dead. That's what we were expecting. That's what we were hoping. After that, Paula was never the same. Mm-mm. Of course she wasn't. No. After this, Rhonda and Paula ran away a number of times and were eventually put into foster care. They never stayed in one place for long and were often returned to their mother until they ran away again. During this time, Rhonda learned that Herman wasn't her biological father, but instead her dad was a man they always called Uncle Ron. He had been in and out of the sisters' lives as much as he was allowed and even approached social services to see if he could take custody of both girls, even though Paula wasn't his biological child, but was turned away. Supposedly, the social worker told him that Gloria and Herman were, quote, crazy and that she didn't want to deal with any complications that might interfere with her own retirement, 
which was only six months away. Oh, my God. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. Nope. Can't can't help you do my job. Can't do my job because I don't want to deal with these quote unquote crazy people. Mm -hmm. Rhonda eventually moved in with her father when she was 14, but Paula wasn't allowed to go with her. Paula was then stuck with her parents without the support of her sister. Herman continued to beat Paula. And by this time, if she wasn't skipping school, she was starting fights with her peers almost daily. Mm -hmm. She was transferred to four different high schools in just one year. No one seemed to know what to do with the angry teen. On one particularly bad night, Paula managed to run away from home and went to a nearby police station where she begged officers to please let her live somewhere other than at home. Oh my God. They didn't listen to her and sent her back home to Gloria and Herman. When Paula was 14, her mother tried to wake her up one morning for school, but found her daughter completely catatonic. Nothing would rouse Paula, who wouldn't open her eyes, move or talk. She was sent to a mental health facility for treatment, but was released back into the care of her parents after only four days. Mm-mm. It's important to mention that neither Gloria or Herman attended any of Paula's hearings. In fact, they moved out of state very soon after she was arrested for murder and did nothing to try and support their daughter, who was still very much a minor and in deep, deep trouble. Oh, my God. During closing arguments, the prosecution said, quote, cold-blooded murderers should be put to death to atone for the crimes they have committed and added that people of Indiana, quote, shall not be bullied into believing that retribution is evil. She is a child. No. Cool. Yeah. Good job. And abortion's illegal in Indiana. Right. We're doing it. You guys, we're doing, we're doing a good it. job. Move to the Hoosier State. Crossroads yeah. of America. Yahoo. Just kidding. I love my state, but fuck me. Afterward, Paula was allowed to speak to the judge. This next paragraph comes from an excerpt from a book that was written Uh about the case. Quote, Paula was self-pitying and confrontational. She spoke in the passive voice, saying this act of terrible violence, quote, just happened. She looked out at the prosecution and asked, quote, where was all these people at right here when I needed somebody? Mm -hmm. She gestured to the Pelkies and challenged them. Quote, what's going to happen if they take my life? Is that going to bring your mother back, your sister, your aunt? No, that is not going to bring her back. How would you all feel when I am in my grave? After this, the judge was ready to hand down a sentence. One reporter said the judge was not able to look Paula in the eye while he spoke to her. According to Bill Pelkey, who was in court that day, the judge, quote, started off by saying that when he graduated from law school in 1959, that there was one thing that he knew for sure, and that was the fact that he was opposed to the death penalty. Mm. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Care Of. Care Of is a subscription service that ships high quality personalized vitamins, supplements and powders conveniently to your door every month. The new year is here already, and Care Of wants to celebrate you with a personalized experience that will help you feel like you're youest. Push against sameness and celebrate what makes each of us unique. One of the things that I like most about Care Of is that they have a lot of options. You can get multivitamins for both men and women. You can also get certain blends, things to help you sleep, focus more, help your digestion, They come in a very cute box, conveniently packaged. 
And one of the nicest things about Care Of is that you can take a quiz and it helps you really figure out exactly what it is that you need. I know for myself, one of the things I hope for in the new year is to take better care of myself. And that includes supplements from Care Of. One of the things I've been using more of lately is their on-the-go probiotic powders. I find that it's easier for me if I put them in my purse and then I can remember to take them when I think of it rather than when I'm in quotes supposed to. For 50% off your first care of order, go to takecareof.com and enter code THEYWILL50. Again, that's for 50% off your first care of order. Go to takecareof.com and enter code they will 50. He said at the time, the majority of the people in the United States were opposed to the death penalty, but he went on to say how the pendulum had now swung to the direction where the majority of the people in our country wanted, in fact, demanded the death penalty. He stated that he hoped that someday soon the American public would have their fill of death that this penalty brought and that it would come to an end. He then told Paula, quote, I am concerned about your background. I am concerned that you were born into a household where your father abused you and your mother either participated or allowed it to happen. And those seem to be explanations or some indication of why you may be the type of personality that you are. They are not excuses, however. You committed the act and you must pay the penalty. He then sentenced 15-year-old Paula Cooper to death. Surprise, surprise. Paula cried quietly, but said nothing as she was let out of the courtroom. As everyone filed out of the room, Rhonda screamed at the Pelkies, quote, are you satisfied now? Mm. Ruth's son, Bob, would tell reporters that he believed justice had been served. And I do not blame the Pelkies. I don't. No. No. I do not blame them. I feel for them deeply. Me too. As the months passed after Paula's sentencing, she was sent to prison where she spent 23 out of 24 hours alone. Oh, oh my God. She was regularly raped and assaulted by prison guards. She was assigned a new attorney, Monica Foster, to help her through the appeals process. Monica said during their first visit, she realized that Paula fully expected to be carried away to the death chamber at any moment. Uh Uh-uh. And that Paula told her she let the prison guards have sex with her, thinking she wouldn't be executed if she was pregnant. Oh, my God. She had no idea how the process worked and that it would take many, many years for her to be executed. And it was even more likely that her death sentence would be overturned at some point. At the same time, Ruth's grandson, Bill, couldn't stop thinking about Paula. He said at one point, while thinking about his grandmother, he had an image of her in his mind. He said that she started crying and that he realized she was crying because a child was going to be killed as a way to get justice for her murder. He didn't think that that's what Ruth would have wanted. He also started to think about what life must have been like for Paula, a black girl who was raised in Gary, Indiana, how she had constantly tried to run away from home and how her parents couldn't be bothered to even show up for her in court. Mm -hmm. He said that slowly his mind started to change and he started to forgive Paula for what she had done. He started to understand that it was possible that she had killed his grandmother in a blind rage that had flooded out of her when she found herself in control of someone else for the first time. Yeah. Yes. Yes. He started to understand that Paula wasn't evil. She had acted on a a terrible impulse. 
something she could never take back. Bill later wrote, quote, I thought to myself that Paula Cooper didn't know what she was doing. Anyone who takes a 12-inch butcher knife and stabs someone 33 times doesn't know what they are doing. Mm -mm. What happened that day was crazy, 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 senseless act. I knew that forgiveness would be the right thing and thought maybe someday I would try to forgive her. Mm. Bill decided to write Paula a letter. Quote, the next day I wrote Paula Cooper a letter and explained to her about my experience of forgiveness. I told her how I wanted to try and help her. I asked her for her grandfather's address and told her I would like to visit with him. I also wanted to visit with Paula. Ten days later, Bill received a response from Paula, who also wanted to meet him. She expressed remorse for what she had done to Ruth and wanted to try and make it better. Unfortunately, the prison refused to allow Bill to meet Paula in person, so they spent the next few years writing to each other almost every week. Wow. Bill went to visit Paula's grandfather, who was the only member of her family other than Rhonda, to attend her sentencing hearing. They spent the time together looking through photo albums. Bill saw pictures of Paula as a small girl and realized even more that she wasn't a monster. She was a flawed human being, just a child. During this time, Indiana became the center of the debate on capital punishment, and media outlets around the world started talking about Paula. Because of this, in 1987, Indiana changed the minimum age someone could be put to death from 10 years old to 16. <sighs> it was then changed to 18 years old in 2002, but only after the Supreme Court ruled against putting minors to death. Also, I think we've all learned that your brain doesn't form fully until you're 43. Right. Like 18 is not adults. You're not an adult. Physically, you're not an adult at 18. I hate to tell you 18 years who are listening, but you're also probably like, I don't feel like an adult because you're not. (laughs) No. You're a teenager. No. You're a little child. 18 years is nothing. No. You're not. It's a baby. Yeah. You don't even start to feel like you're in your body until you're in your 40s. Despite the fact that Paula was only 15 when she murdered Ruth, legislators were clear that the new age change did not affect cases that had already been been sentenced. Hers was the only one, mind you. Mm. Mm. Paula would stay on death row, but that would change in 1989, three years after Paula was sentenced, when the Indiana Supreme Court ruled to have Paula's sentence commuted to a 60-year term instead of death. Thank God. Once her sentence was commuted, she was moved to Rockville Women's Prison to serve out the rest of her sentence, where she received her GED and then a bachelor's degree in 2001. Do our parents know her? I called. Our parents did prison ministry at Rockville. I did call our mother and asked, and she said no. She knew of the case, but no, she didn't know her personally. Mm-hmm. Paula and Bill were also able to finally meet in person. Bill visited Paula 15 times while she was behind bars. Paula would later say that Bill was her biggest encouragement, one of the main reasons she decided to turn her life around and be a better person. (laughs) I know. That shit's going to make me cry. I know. Paula wasn't the only person who was transformed. Bill said that he was a changed man, too. I have to stop crying. I can't. It's just sorry. Yeah. Do it. Saying, quote, I began to get a real education about the death penalty. I learned how it cost more to execute a person than it does to keep them in prison for the rest of their life. 
He started attending marches and other meetings with groups who were working to overturn the death penalty. He said, quote, one person on the march had co-authored a book called In Spite of Innocence that told of 23 people who were executed in the 20th century and later proven to be innocent. Yeah. I learned about innocent people who were presently on death row. I learned that there are no rich people on death row, only poor ones. I learned many of the people on death row had ineffective counsel. The thing that got to me most was walking down the highways with people who had loved ones on death row. There were daughters with fathers on death row, wives with husbands on death row, and mothers with sons on death row. I realized that if you execute somebody, you create more victim family members. Mm -hmm. He went on to become one of the leaders of the movement to abolish the death penalty and founded the Journey of Hope, an organization led by family members of murder victims that work to end the death penalty. Holy shit. <laughs> Based on Indiana's law, Paula was eligible for one day off her sentence for every day she spent in prison with good behavior. By all accounts, she was a model inmate. And I should back up and say that in 1995, she assaulted a guard and was put in solitary confinement for three years. Oh my God. For three years. <sighs> And then when she was out of solitary in 1998, she was like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. I got to get my shit together. Yeah. After spending just under 27 years in prison, Paula Cooper was paroled on June 17th, 2013. Wow. She was 43 years old. Life out of prison wasn't easy for Paula. She had to learn to navigate life as an adult on her own. It took some time, but Paula eventually became a legal assistant at the Indiana Ugh. Federal Community Defenders where she worked alongside her lawyer, Monica Foster, the one that had defended her since she was a teenager. Oh, my God. Uh, the two began speaking to college classes. Quote, she was nervous about public speaking, Monica said, but she wanted to give back to the community, particularly by talking to young people. She felt like she could say things to them that other adults could not say. A friend that met Paula in prison said Paula was the one who helped the new inmates adjust to life in prison, but she had to help Paula once they were both out in the real world. Mm -hmm. Two years after being released, Paula met her friend for lunch. After getting lost on the way to the restaurant, Paula sat at the table and cried. The friend later said, quote, it was like she was a child, like she was defeated and depleted. And she said, friend, I can't do it anymore. She kept touching her hand to her chest, saying, quote, it's on the inside. Paula couldn't overcome her deep depression, her incredibly hard childhood, the brutal way she had murdered Ruth, decades spent in prison. Mm -hmm. Despite being offered a second chance, it felt like the end to Paula. In the early morning hours of May 26, 2015, two weeks after the 30th anniversary of Ruth Pelkey's murder, 45-year-old Paula Cooper was found dead under a tree. She died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to her head. After learning of Paula's death, her former attorney Monica said, quote, it's just completely heartbreaking. The office is not the same without her. Paula was relentlessly cheerful. We had no idea that she was struggling as she was. We are uncertain why, but deeply sad that Paula reached a place that was so dark that she could not call out for help. We would have been there. Bill, who was living in Alaska at the time of Paula's death, flew to Indiana to attend her funeral. 
Paula had been ordered to not contact any members of Ruth's family as a condition of her release, so the two had not been able to see each other after she was out of prison. Wow. Wow. I know. When asked about his feelings on Paula's death, Bill said, quote, We had wanted to do things together around restorative justice and the death penalty. She wanted to be an example for other young people who have been abused. She wanted to tell them, look, this is how I responded to the hate and anger and look at the trouble I got into. She wanted to give them alternatives so they didn't end up like her. As is so often the case, Ruth Pelkey gets a bit lost in the story. I do not want to forget that she died a terrible death at the hands of four angry teens. This case is so complicated and sad. So much tragedy. I do think good has come from her story. I also believe that Ruth would be proud of her grandson for his work helping others and learning to truly forgive someone who took so much away from him and his family. No doubt. But just to add sadness to sadness, Bill Pelkey died of a heart attack on November 12th, 2020. He was 74 years old. His little heart couldn't handle anymore. No. My heart can't either, Bill. I get it, buddy. I get it. The year before he died, he traveled to Ohio for an event for the Journey of Hope, the foundation he ran, where he spent time with Paula's sister, Rhonda. He said it was the highlight of his year. This is an excerpt from Bill's obituary, words I think we should all live by. Quote, perhaps Bill's greatest legacy was modeling how to have a heart that opened to everyone unconditionally and how to persist humbly against great odds. He was an ambassador for peace and justice who is deeply missed by legions of friends and colleagues who felt privileged and grateful to be a part of his journey and remain committed to continuing his work. Ugh, Let us all be a little bit more like Bill. No doubt. Yes, let's be more like Bill. And that is all I got today. <laughs> Sadie Eck fired. And immediately fired myself. and sued. I'm, you will be served, ma'am. This yes. afternoon for that. Oh, God. De- definitely don't give yourself a day or two off, but please do go watch the Natalia Grace documentary yeah. as soon as possible. Because it's it's madness. It's absolute fucking madness. And the thing that has struck me in watching it is the language that people use about her. Yeah. Even knowing what they know, and I won't give too much away, but even having the information that they have, people continue to talk about her like she is some sort of vixen demon person. And she didn't do anything. Paula murdered somebody. So it's not an equal trade here in in using them as a comparison. But it's just shocking to me how easily influenced people are. And how they will set aside like logic and empathy and humanity, Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to punishing. We're not a healing nation. We're a punishing nation. And that is abundantly clear and so unbelievably disappointing. Yeah. And especially in the name of God. Mm -hmm. It's like, have you not read the book, guys? (laughs) Like. And why do you just cherry pick all the Old Testament weird shit that we've decided as a as a country? We're not going to that's not the part of the book that we're supposed to be focusing on. But yet that's the part of the book that gets the most use. Right. 
Oh my God. Yeah. There was so much I could have talked about. Bill mentioned that people would come to him and offer their condolences by telling him how happy they were that the quote bitch was going to die for what she did. And he would be like, well, I'm not happy about that. And they would immediately switch and be like, you know what? I'm not really either. They just thought that that's what he wanted to hear or they were embarrassed for saying it out loud and then not having it reciprocated. Yeah. It's such a fine line to walk between not wanting to disrespect the victims and understanding that people do terrible things and need to be kept away from public to for our protection in a lot of cases but also understanding that there are cases where that isn't true and that paula needed to be punished she needed to be held accountable for her actions for sure yeah she also needed to be loved and supported and taken care of before any of this terrible stuff happened to her exactly and then needed to be protected after afterwards also and so to me there's just no real excuse to be okay or to relish in the idea that we could put a 15 year old to death and be okay with it yeah i agree and like you said it's a fine line and it's not our call to make in most cases because we're not the victims we're just people who are discussing this and i know there are victims who agree but i know that there are a lot of victims who would vehemently disagree and i don't want to trumpet that too hard on here when talking about specific people's lives and experiences because again it's not my call to make but as a member of society i think that i do have a responsibility to point out instances which there are numerous where a lot of people would have suffered a lot less had mm-hmm. a, just a few things taken place in the way of caring for or intervening or communicating with these very obviously troubled people there are some people where i'm like i think that evil exists because there's no other explanation for this person and what they did we deal with a lot of cases where i'm like you might just be a shitty person. Is badness just a thing? Because if it is, you are that. And that's an oversimplification because I'm sure that there are things that I don't know about that person. But based on the information we have, it feels like that's the case. But I would say 90% of what we cover, there were moments in those people's lives that had a different decision been made or an intervention happened in some way we would not be telling the story of their victims later. Right. We are a punitive nation and not a healing nation. We're not interested in healing. We're very interested in hoarding and protecting and being retroactive versus proactive. And that's abundantly clear. Yeah. Yeah. And if we build a better system that serves all of us, Mm -hmm. then Ruth's family doesn't have to suffer. Yep. And Paula doesn't have to suffer and her family doesn't have to suffer. Yeah. There's got to be a better way. And I think just starting by talking about it and calling it out when you see it and changing Mm -hmm. minds. I've just been made aware of so much in the last five years of my life, eight years since Trump was elected, basically. It's the worst Mm -hmm. thing that happened to this country. And it's also been the best because we've all just gotten like heaping doses of education on how the world actually works and how this country actually works for better or worse. Mm -hmm. How things are so specifically set up to 
benefit whoever's in charge in that moment. When we're talking about these cases and we're looking at, if you've got the wrong DA, you're fucked. Yeah. For as long as that DA's in place, it's just so arbitrary. It's like this random stranger who happened to be able to convince a bunch of people to hire him indefinitely. Mm -hmm. He's in charge of you. He's in charge of this decision. And as long as this human being, person, random person (laughs) is in charge, you're fucked. Things like that. (sighs) This is why Hammock Island is in progress. This is why we're getting... (laughs) Getting the initial permits in place for Hammock Island so that we can just go and be really weird. Yeah. And it's the group thing. It's the it's Mm -hmm. for me, like saying the last eight years, it's the sort of unpacking and unraveling of how we have all been taught what we've been taught, how we've been taught those things and how off base and fucking ridiculous they are when you really think about them critically on every level working nine to five jobs, retiring when you have like one minute left of your life, the food we eat, healthcare, everything, literally everything mm-hmm. that we've done our whole lives. And now in the the last couple of years and COVID brought it all to light. And everyone's like, this doesn't make any sense. None of this mm-hmm. makes sense. And we don't want to do it anymore. Not because we're lazy, but because it's killing us and right. it's benefiting five people while millions and billions of people suffer. So fuck you five people and good job because you have been masterful in convincing a lot of people to play along. But Mm -hmm. there's a lot of us who are like, we're good. We're done. We're not doing that anymore and growing. So back to my original point being like, I think the more we talk about these things, the more we push back and point it out. And I am somebody who thinks, feels like a pretty critical thinker, but I am so amazed at myself when I'm really paying attention to my reactions to things and how quickly my opinion changes. I think I just Mm -hmm. brought this up in a recent episode. If somebody says to me X and my opinion was different previously, I I can't help but be not be affected by it, you know, Mm -hmm. and then I'm holding that opinion in my mind as I'm going through life and looking at things and thinking critically or not having reactions to things. We are all influenced by each other. Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah. And so it feels so overwhelming, but it really does make a big difference to defend the indefensible when it's appropriate or mm-hmm. even just point out like this is a child. <laughs> this right. is an abused and neglected, severely abused and neglected child. Right. And, and, who and it should doesn't never have been faced with the potential of being put to death. No. Period. No. And it, it doesn't should not be a thing. No. And and we don't have to. And this is the part that takes some convincing and God bless Bill for taking this on. But it defending a child who did something horrible does not take away from the fact that they did something horrible. It those two things can exist at the same time. We can be yep. critical of her actions while still appreciating the things that she needs as a human being and the mistakes that were made in her care previously. We are capable of a lot of amazing things, guys. Mm -hmm. We have been on the moon, for example. (laughs) We can hold all of these things in our hearts and minds simultaneously. It's hard, and you might need to write Mm -hmm. some things down to keep track of all of it, but you can do it. I can do it. It's, It's worth it. 
It's worth yeah. it. This is how people don't die unnecessarily and tragically. <sighs> right. Oh, my God. Well, holy smokers, that sucks. And I'm really glad you did it. And I don't blame you for crying all the way through it because it's <laughs> devastating. I know. It's a, a story worth telling and mm. a reminder to keep pushing forward and uh, speak up. Yep. And I'm... I don't know. I really, really think that I'm going to make me cry again, but that Ruth would be really proud of Bill. I do too. I really think so. I do too. And that as kind as she sounded, um, she wouldn't have wanted Paula to go through what she did. Absolutely not. Let's stop Uh, the suffering of the little girls and the boys and the non-binary children and each other. And even the really baddies. Let's not, let's not make them suffer either. Let's be nicer. Let's have some empathy for each other. And there are a lot of people, especially young people who are, who are Mm -hmm. not having it. They are not having it. They are just wonderfully, beautifully think, critically thinking people. And they're like, nah, we're good. Mm -hmm. It's not how we're going to treat each other anymore. Yeah. So keep it up. I had an interesting conversation with my six-year-old who is very curious and interested in guns and weapons and war and much to his mother's dismay. Yeah. (laughs) Not my favorite thing about parenting children that I don't have complete control over, turns out. Uh, But he asked me the other day, is it illegal to kill people in war? And I said, no, but there are rules. There are rules of war, but Mm -hmm. generally speaking, no. And he said, are they all bad guys or are they people like me? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, what do you think? And he sat there for a minute and he said, well, I hope they're all bad guys. And I said, well, buddy, unfortunately, if we're at war with another country, the people fighting the wars are people like you. And he said, with families? Mm -hmm. I said, yeah. Mm -hmm. He said, it's okay to kill them? I said, it is. And he said, well, I don't want to die. And I said, yeah, I don't want you to die either. And he said, well, I don't want them to die. And I said, right, exactly. Yeah. He said, there's better answers than war. We need to figure out how to to solve our problems without hurting each other. And he he just like sat there for a while and he was like, okay. I was like, oh, thank God. Thank God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he, he's little. He's trying to figure this out. But the fact that he was able to have those ideas rather than it being a good guy, bad guy thing makes yeah. me understand that he is getting the message that I put out there for them absolutely yeah and uh and thinking critically exactly it's not as simple as good guy bad guy ever it just isn't no no i uh had a conversation this weekend a a friend of a friend had just come from a silent meditation retreat 10-day silent meditation retreat and it's based on these buddhist principles and i it's just interesting. The whole thing is so interesting and, and meditation is proven to work. I mean, it's like such a amazingly effective practice that none of us can seem to do. (laughs) 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 Not none of us, but she brought up Buddha Siddhartha and that he had been, I didn't realize that, that his parents were so con- committed to keeping him from suffering that he was kept away from like aging people and sick people his whole life. Mm. And so when he left the palace, 
and saw aging and sick people for the first time, he wanted to find a way to prevent suffering. And so was then able to go on this journey and this quest to find enlightenment. But I forgot that Buddha was a fucking prince. Oh, yeah. I did. I don't Buddha know if I knew was that, rich. <laughs> yeah. So my friend was talking about the fact that she's like, are there adjustments to this practice for single mothers? Because she's a single mother and they wanted to meditate an hour in the morning and an hour at night. And she's like, it's just not practical. I just can't do that. So have there been adjustments made? And the answer is no, you know, to, for this specific mm -hmm. program. And this is not a criticism of Buddha. I think we should all follow the way of the Buddha. But she's like, yeah, well, Buddha was rich. <laughs> <laughs> he had plenty of time to meditate. <laughs> he had all the support systems he needed yes. to take two hours out of his day to become enlightened and it blew my mind it blew my mind i was like i have never considered the fact that buddha had privilege mm -hmm. like that interesting yes. did he it? i'll have well now i need to go study up on that because yeah that's yeah that's kind of blown my mind right now part of the whole thing is that buddha set aside his riches for enlightenment set this life aside to to do this and again not being critical of buddhism but it is it's just interesting to think about mm -hmm. it in kind of modern terms especially and be like well of course he was able to find enlightenment he was rich mm -hmm. he could yeah. do that and no it really does make some yeah sense. <laughs> oh, fuck, man. wow i know Ugh, well, Jesus. I know. So much to think about. Or I mean, oh, Buddha. Oh, Buddha. Say. Yeah. And I <laughs> don't get me wrong. Again, like let's yeah. if we were all Buddhist and like lived by the Buddha or Jesus, mm -hmm. truly lived by Jesus or Buddha or any of these beautiful people, all, all of them conveniently men. But mm -hmm. if we if we did, if we did follow the teachings of these people, the world would be a much better place. But we don't do that. And nope. uh, it's possible, though. I think it's possible. I think so, too. I appreciate you all hanging in there with us as I cry my way through uh, this episode. I thank you. That's all. Yeah, it was a beautiful episode. <laughs> it was really Aww. a beautiful episode. Um, I have about 4,000 names for name time. So I feel like yes. I should, should drop some name times. Oh, there's a little chicken running across the yard. <laughs> oh, getting out of the tsunami. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, I think it's going to be okay. It's very moody okay. outside, but it doesn't seem too blustery. Um, all right. Let me pull these little babies up. And I think next next time, because we are a few weeks behind on our shouty outies, but next time we might have to do a little dual, a little dual duty, don't you think? Oh boy, get you started, get you going. Yeah, and just crank out like six, eight of them. Yeah, let's do it. Catch up on those. we got a lot of new Patreon supporters too, so thank you all so much for the support. And uh, we will make it so worth your while, you cannot even imagine. <laughs> okay. Somebody on a customer call sheet was named Anita Cox. Yeah, 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 I love yeah, that one. yeah, yeah. Doctor Pennywise Buttoff. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Murray Dolphin. <laughs> That's so cute. Finish, finish rough. Smokey McKinstry, clam digger. <laughs> 
And there's a McKinstry in the football lineup too, I do believe. So I wonder if Smokey's related to that McKinstry. Uh, Dick Shady. Uh, there was a person born in the 1300s with the name Diet Coke. What? <laughs> D-I-O-T Coke. Diet you Coke. You are kidding me. No. Oh, no. Wow. Yep. Buzzard or Buzzard O'Rourke, attorney at law. Yes. Scream! Jizz Fashion. It's the name of store. Jizz Fashion. <laughs> oh, the rooster. Rooster. Approves. Wow. Several of you sent me Butthead Lake, which <laughs> thank you. Uh, Javen I Motley. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Marilyn and Tom Bagel wrote the Bagel's Book of Bagels. <laughs> like if you don't do that with the name yeah. of bagel then you fail yeah you get arrested. yes you've not fulfilled your destiny you're going to come back you're going to be reincarnated and it might not yep. go well so just go ahead and write the book of bagels bagels <laughs> mr <laughs> and mrs bagel uh someone's paternal grandfather was given the name essel but his nickname was eck yeah, yeah welcome essel yes and uh, I said, I don't know why. Why not? His wife was Lou LeMay, but everyone called her Hootie. Oh. <laughs> uh, the same listeners' names were Jerry and Sherry, and they named their brother Ricky, and their, and the listener's nickname is Nikki. Uh, Jerry, Sherry, Ricky, and Nikki. That's so cute. Uh, okay, I just drove from Indiana to Louisiana, so I got to go through a bunch of Southern names, and some of you Southerners are sleeping on these names, especially people who live in Mississippi. We need <laughs> to have a talk. <laughs> I passed Bougie Cheeto. What? I'm sure that's not how it's pronounced, but that's what it looks like. B-O-U-G-E-C-H-I-T-T-O. Boog-Cheeto. If it's Boog-Cheeto, it's Bougie-Cheeto. Yes. Wow. Yazoo City. (laughs) Dix. D-I-X. Tickfall. (laughs) And Pickens. These places are all within about 200 miles of each other. Pickens. Pickens. Yazoo City. (laughs) Like Yazoo? God, yes, yes, yes. William Williams. We've moved on from the Southern Cities. Okay. Gay Pillow. Oh, my God. (laughs) Will Nye, the DJ guy. Yes. Helen Bach. Yes, Helen. Yes, Helen Bach. (laughs) The CEO for Food for the Poor, the largest international relief and development organization, is named Robin Mafood. You are kidding me right now. No. Oh, my God. Werner Cutoff Road. (laughs) Get it Uh like Wiener. uh Courtney Balls. Yeah. Yeah. Fancy Dersh. Yes. (laughs) Crystal Stalker. Yes. (laughs) Big Bone Lick State Park. I feel like that's probably come up before. I love any lick. Any lick. Uh, Big Bone Lick. Any Big Bone Lick. State Park. Steak. Steak park. State park. Dildo trading post. <laughs> Bitchfield. <laughs> Hungry Mother State Park. Oh my God. The corner of Climax and High. High Point. <laughs> middle Fart. Which I be- oh, hello. I feel oh. like Middle Fart has come up before. But <laughs> never forget. Occurs. Um, somebody with the first name Murphy, middle name Merkin. 
<laughs> Murphy Merkin. Murphy Merkin. Go away. <laughs> I will live on go away. <laughs> Rex Cox menswear. And Dottie Dakota K. May. <laughs> I hope Dottie so Dakota K. May lives in Yazoo City next to Pickens, which the, the sign said Yazoo City and Pickens. They are close enough. They're on the same exit sign. Oh, my God. And you didn't take it. No, I had to get here. But I did pass the Bass Pro Shop Pyramid in Memphis. Yes. Which I didn't realize it's right off the interstate. You could just see it glowing in the distance. And so we're going to stop at the Bass Pro Shop Pyramid on the way back. Do you know the the legend of the Bass Pro Shop Pyramid? No. So I guess Memphis is like Egypt of the America or whatever, just because the the Mississippi River is like the Nile. Oh. I don't know. Yeah. So okay. it's like because it's a wonder of the world. Uh, yeah. Yes, I didn't I quite understand it. So it was adopted by entrepreneur John Tigret. And I'm pretty sure he got he made his money through like Hard Rock Cafes or something, I think. And when, when you say adopted, you mean the building? Yeah, so they like this this idea has been going along for a long going around for a long time, apparently. Like they were gonna do the the like a scaled down versions of the Great Pyramids. I see. Okay. So they built this pyramid. It was a music venue and I guess like a sports venue, but the acoustics were so horrendously nightmarish that it was like a huge flop. It was a disaster. Oh. But there's something about the cr- a crystal skull. The original builder put a crystal skull at the top of it and the builders were freaked out by it. And so they took it out and then the thing failed. Yeah, it was... Oh, imp- oh God. Alex Jones used it as a part of a sinister Illuminati conspiracy. Of course he did. And I'm not trying to I'm not trying to spread Illuminati conspiracies, but they found a glass skull in the very tippy top of it covered in blue velvet with incense dust in it. <laughs> and apparently it's locked up in a safe in the Shelby County Administration building. Yeah, so Isaac Tigger, the founder of Hard Rock Cafe and House of Blues, had put it up there. He was a devotee of Indian guru, of an Indian guru, credited saving his life after his car accident. Baba, this person, had given him the skull along with specific instructions on how it should be aligned he had fixed it up there because of the cosmic imp- impact it could have on the top of the pyramid. And so when the skull had been removed, Tigret said they have no idea what they have done. Oh, no. They asked that the skull be returned, but they wouldn't return it. They were like anything that was permanently affixed to the building had become the property of the city and government. And so they wouldn't give it back. So then it failed. It was just a huge, massive, colossal failure. It was supposed to be this huge, like, tourist draw, but nobody wanted to go in there because <laughs> it sounded terrible. It was just a bad idea altogether. So then they were like, well, we got to do something with this. And I think it bankrupted him or something, too. You know, it's like one of those right. huge, huge failures. And it was supposed to be his, like, crowning achievement. And it was a huge failure. And so then Pass Pro Shop swoops in and saves the day. <laughs> And like, like, sure, why not? Yeah, we'll put a, we'll put the world's biggest fast pro shop in there. But it's like a really expensive hotel, like a lodge. Really? Mm-hmm. Like a crazy luxury hotel. There's as is with most bass pro shops, you can fish for bass in there, like full size bass. Mm-hmm. There's a shooting range. There's all kinds of stuff. So, wow. Yeah. When I saw it, I squealed like it was a celebrity. Like I was seeing a famous person because I was so excited. I did not know. 
I didn't either. So on the way back, we're going to spend the night in Memphis and go there and Graceland. I've never been to Graceland. Uh, Stay at the hotel. I'm going to try it. We have our dogs with us. And if they uh, accept dogs, then we will. And I think it's really expensive, but I'm I'm willing to pay the pay the price. The premium price of Bass Pro Shop Hotelage. Yep. Yep. Do it, man. Report Um, back. Can't wait. I know. Yeah, it was 13 years it was an arena and concert venue. Anyway, really? so. Wow. That's in the future. I'll give you guys a full report of my experience. And if I get haunted or a, an invite to be in the Illuminati, <laughs> I'm going to take it. I don't I mean, want to uh, be in the Illuminati, but I'm going to take the invite purely out of curiosity. Yeah, 100%. You know? Yes. So when I get weird, when I get real famous all of a sudden, that's why. <laughs> When I get weird. It's just, when everything fails, it's because you remove the crystal skull. Yeah. I won't remove the crystal skull. Okay, but I'm just going to go in there and plant crystal skulls, which actually is kind of a hilarious <laughs> idea. Maybe I will do that. I'm, just, I'm in New Orleans. I'm sure I could go to the Mardi Gras store and buy a bunch of crystals, plastic crystal skulls. So Duh. I think Laura and I will go plant a bunch of crystal skulls all over the Bass <sighs> Pro Shop pyramid. I want to do it. It sounds amazing. Doesn't it? Yep. Um, but in the meantime... I will also be doing things on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for you all to enjoy. So go on over there and look at those things <laughs> if you'd like to. They are all at They Will Kill. Go to our website, theywillkill.com. And you can always email us at theywillkillpodcast at gmail.com. You can rate, review, and subscribe to us too, please. Yes, please. Please do it. We love it. It's really we helpful. Do. And thank you, Andrew Perkins, for your music. Thank you very, very much. And remember. Um, I think it's important to hang out with people who are younger than you and older than you, which I don't mm-hmm. think is as much of a crazy concept for younger people. But for people our age and older, it's just like unheard of to hang out with people who are younger than you and older than you, which is very strange. Mm-hmm. But I do think that's also a form of control. And I was thinking about how. If you hang out with people who are older than you, you know that you need to just chill out and not work so hard and worry so much. And if you hang out with people who are younger than you, then you learn about what's happening in the future, you know, like what's mm-hmm. happening now and and you can stay like fresh and young and vibrant and about how pe- when we were young, like after you were 30 years old, society was like, you are basically dead. Just never leave your house. Here's television. Don't leave because you have no worth. <laughs> and that's so stupid because so dumb. It's like you don't even the 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 value we place on youth is just absurd to the point of like being kind of disgusting. I mean, it is disgusting, but also not just because it's shallow, but because you don't you got so much time. There's so much time. You got to do so mm-hmm. much when you get older. So go well, out of your there's way. There's so much to be gained from learning. From the people who've already gone through this yes. and vice versa. You know, like yeah. I, ha- I love hanging out with young people because 100 percent. Holy shit. I want to know all the things. I want to know the music. I want to know the terms. I want to know the everything, the technology. I'm just so committed to being fresh and vibrant and yeah. with it as long as I possibly can. And I guess for me, I've always felt super old. (laughs) (laughs) So I've never been particularly hip. You guys will be shocked to find this out. The other day, Ryan pulled out a bunch of... God, I keep hitting my thing. Uh, Ryan pulled out a bunch of hip kid lingo to our Mm. children the other day. It was so funny. And I didn't know half of it. And 
I was like, where did you, how do you know it? And he was like, dude, like get on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, I don't, I just don't, I don't know. Yeah. So luckily for me, I, he will keep, he'll keep the two of us youngish, but well, at least it. Uh, familiar with the lingo because it's important. I'm never going to yeah. use the lingo, but I do, I do like to know what it means and how it's used so that I can decipher the, uh, the foreign languages of the young people. Right. I or, know. Some of it, I was, I just still, I don't remember most of it because that's how old I am. Yeah. But I was like, wait, what is that? And my oldest was rolling his eyes like, ugh, mom, get together with it. <laughs> get together with it is what the young uh-huh. people say. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I also, when they have the TikTok filters where it's like who you know your top 10 hot boyfriends for the month or whatever and the women rank all the hot celebrity men yeah i'm i don't know who any of them are oh, which is no. weird because i'm like i watch movies and television voraciously i'm also on tiktok several hours a day how the fuck do i not know who these people are you know they're just not i don't yeah i should know i listen to music I'm also a voracious listener of music podcast. I feel like I consume a lot of pop culture to not know who a lot of people are is weird. Got to get on Tumblr or something. (laughs) (laughs) Do I need to get on a dating app? Where are you finding these people? (laughs) Snapchat. MySpace? I'd be secretly, I would be so happy. I miss MySpace so much. What if they brought MySpace back and just haven't told the oldies about it? I'd be so happy. We need to petition it. Or Friendster. I'll take Friendster, but I really loved MySpace. I shined on MySpace. I mean, I love TikTok the most of all of them, but MySpace greater than Facebook by a long shot. I don't think anybody would disagree with that statement. The fact that Facebook won is a tragedy. It's an absolute fucking tragedy. It's gross. It's never been great or good at all. Nope. Okay. Well, that's that's solved the world's (laughs) problems. We love you. And thank you for being here. Yeah. Stick with us. We know everything. And everything we say is correct and true. 100%. I've never said anything I regret or would change at all. Ever. Never. So nope. you're safe with us. Stick here. We know it all. Stick here. We love you. <laughs> we love you so much. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.